I'm Russell Wilson, and I play quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. When I was a young kid, you know, I used to always go to church. I just, my parents used to always take me, and I, you know, I knew about God and stuff like that, but um, I was always playing sports, and I was so preoccupied with that in a part of my life, and I was kind of a bad kid. I was kind of a bad kid growing up. Um, you know, I had a dream one night. Um, you know, I was, at, I was at UVA football camp. It was Saturday night, and I was just, my parents were to pick me up on Sunday to go to church. And, um, I had a dream that my dad passed away, and that Jesus came into the room, and, and he was just, you know, basically knocking on my door saying, hey, you need to find out more about me. So that Sunday morning, I ended up going to church, and that's when I got saved. Um, you know, it was um, either June or July when I was 14 years old. And, and I think that just that moment um, of when I realized that, you know, those dreams are really real, because um, my dad ended up passing away, you know, six years later. So you just, I think that, that kind of got, got me through a lot of adversity. Um, like I said, I was kind of a bad kid. I used to beat up kids and bite kids and do stuff you know, all the time. But um, yeah, I realized that God had given me so much, so many talents and I wanted to you know, give him all the glory, all the ups and downs, uh, not just in football, but also in life and overcoming those challenges. Great athletes, great people in general, great leaders. Um, you know, adversity is an opportunity for me. And, you know, people said that I couldn't do it. Nobody can stop what God has for you. It's so nice to have the family together, isn't it? So fun. First thing I need to say, the first thing I need to say really is, um, if you're a Broncos fan, we love you. We do. We have Grace at Overlake. We, 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 we just, honestly, all, all kinds of outlandish love for, for the misguided, for the mentally ill, for just every, so honestly, we love you. And uh, do we have any Seahawks fans in the house? We got some love. Yeah. I just want to show you what team I'm playing for today, right here. There we go. Okay, lay that out. Now, um, we are in the middle of a series called You're Stronger Than You Think, and I want to encourage you to grab your notes out of your handout, and if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Samuel 17. We are going to unpack a passage of Scripture which perfectly illustrates this truth. Now, um, this happens to be a passage of Scripture that many, many, many of us are familiar with, but I hope because of that familiarity, we might actually, um, we might actually embrace some of the truth in this passage in a new and a fresh way. The passage is David v. Goliath, right? It's the, it's the time when a young boy, maybe early teens, mid-teens maybe, is going against this incredible foe of his. So we're just going to jump right in. And we're going to take a look at, uh, at what the scripture has to say, starting in verse 1 of Samuel, 1 Samuel 17. It says, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko in Judah and Ezekah in Ephesdamim. Watch your mouth. Saul countered uh, by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Now, for those of you who've been following through this series, um, you might start by going, hey, wait a second. I thought last week we learned about how Jonathan, the son of Saul, led this incredible route and chased the Philistines out of Israel. How come they're here again? 
And it's a great, great question. Because what you see in the history of Israel is the Philistines are the enemies at the border and they keep invading and they keep threatening and they keep trying to take territory away from Israel. They keep trying to dominate the people of God. Now the reason why I bring this all up is this, because there are so many of us, in fact I would guess all of us, we find ourselves fighting the same battles again and again and again. You say to yourself, you know what, I beat that temptation once, how come it's rearing its ugly head again? Is there something wrong with me? The scripture shows there's nothing wrong with you. There's an enemy. The enemy wants to take your freedom. The enemy wants to take your joy. The enemy wants to take your effectiveness. The enemy wants to take all kinds of things away from you. And so temptation will rear its head. The trial will rear its head. Circumstance, situation, the things that we face in this life, they will come up again and again and again. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need to be encouraged, right? Yes, it's the enemy army coming against you, but at least it's the enemy you know. And you are not alone. You, my friend, are stronger than you think. Let's keep going. Verse four. Then Goliath, okay, this is a twist. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. So just picture, you know, me. And then add four feet, okay? That's kind of what we're looking at. Nine feet tall, wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Friends, this is a big, bad freak of nature right here. This guy, I, I just picture Andre the giant, right? Goliath the giant, everything about this guy is monstrous. Even his clothes weigh 125 pounds. That's like me, all right? So you just, you see sort of this, this incredible giant, this, this thunderous man as he stalks out into the valley in front of the army of Israel. You can sort of imagine the collective gasp that happens as they see him for the first time. Verse eight, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul, right? Some kind of a taunt there. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So you can picture the scene. This is a kind of gladiator-style challenge. Somebody come and fight me, mano y mano. And the reason why the Philistines were going after this kind of a tactic is because it's much neater to win a whole war by taking care of one man than it is to try to fight a whole army. I mean, that just makes sense. The second reason that why they were willing to risk it is because Goliath was unbeaten. There was no one in the land, maybe no one living on the planet at that time who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Goliath, and the Philistines knew it. 
So they said, let's put him out there. Let's have a little MMA battle, cage fight to the death. And whoever wins, then the whole other nation becomes slaves. And that was the challenge that was issued. Now Saul and his men are terrified. Not only are they terrified when they first see Goliath and hear him, but look what the scripture says here. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. For 40 days, twice a day, Goliath comes out, peacocks around, you know, shouts at him, jeers at him. Question, in those 40 days, are the Israelites becoming braver or more fearful? More fearful. That's right. They keep looking at the giant in front of them. They keep looking at the foe in front of them. They keep waiting and hiding and refusing to engage. And as they wait and as they look at this foe who's coming against them, suddenly he dominates their imagination. He started out at nine feet, but the next day it's nine foot four. He started out at nine foot four, but the next day he comes out, he's nine foot six, right? He just keeps growing and growing, bigger, badder, scarier, because they keep looking at him again and again and again. Here's the truth. You might want to write this down. The more you look at your troubles and fear, the more fearful your troubles will look. The more you look at your troubles and fear, the more fearful your troubles will look. And as long as you're running away from the giant who opposes you, as long as you go and hide and you withdraw and you refuse to engage, then you need to know that giant is going to come back again and again and again. I want you to notice this. Goliath never leaves on his own. The enemy coming against you, the temptation coming against you, the trial that's coming against you, it's not going to go away until you face it. And you need to understand this. This Why would they, right? They never leave on their own. Until you face the foe in Jesus' name, they win every time. But when you choose to face the giant, you need to understand that God begins to work on your behalf. And that there are miracles that are waiting to happen in your life. The Lord does not leave you to face the battle um, without the kinds of weapons that you need. And so what happens in this scenario is that God shows up to provide some tools for Israel to win, specifically tools for the person of David. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one's very, very simple. The tools that God provides, the first one we see is that God provides some fresh perspective. God provides this fresh wind of new perspective in the ranks of Israel because they were dominated by this Goliath imagination. And what they needed was some new wind to blow in, and that happened in the form of David. Now, when David arrived, friends, again, young teen, and he arrived not as a soldier, he arrived as a grocer, more like a delivery boy. That his, uh, he was tending sheep back with his dad, and he had some brothers that were in the Israelite army. So his dad packed up some food and said, hey, David, send this, take this to your brothers. So David showed up with a care package from dad. And he shows up on the line, and he's like, hey, guys, what's going on? And it just so happened, it was Goliath that was going on. And so this is what we see. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out. Uh, the Philistine champion from Gath. He just needs to remind, oh, that Goliath. Like, there's more. It's, no, it's, it's Goliath. He came out 
from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Friends, it's not getting any better, okay? They're, they're running away now when he shows up. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. That's actually the sweet benefit right here, okay? <laughs> David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God, right? Who is this rapscallion, right? Who is this Yahoo who, who, who dares to defy Israel and her God, Amen. right? He, just, he, just, he has this totally different perspective. The soldiers, meanwhile, are running in fright, and David's like, Hey, what do you get if you beat him? Somebody needs to take care of this problem, right? He has this totally different perspective. He thought Goliath is an adversity. Goliath is an opportunity for God to be glorified. That was his fresh perspective. And so not only did God give David this fresh perspective, but God had also supplied David with something else in spades. We see this all the way through David's life in the scripture, and it's this. If you're filling in the blanks, it's that God supplied David with confidence, and God will supply you and I with confidence as well. And we see this in David's life. We see it in spades. David was confident in the Lord. He was confident in his strength in the Lord, that the Lord's strength was flowing through David as he lived his life, as he journeyed in relationship with God. Later, David would write this in Psalm 1829. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. Amen. Now, friends, that's true for you and for me as well. If we're in relationship with God, it's his strength that flows through us. And so far from being terrified by Goliath, David was invigorated. He, he was filled with confidence and desire to take care of this problem. And I know that this may sound strange for me to say, but, but giants are absolutely necessary for our own spiritual growth. The, the, the adversity, the trial, the temptation, these giants that come against us, they're absolutely necessary for you and I to become the men and women that God has called us and created us to be. In fact, Martin Luther commented that there were three things necessary for the Christ follower in their journey. The three things necessary, he concluded, were meditation on the word of God, prayer, and temptation. By that, he meant testing the trials that come up daily in our lives. And, and so we need to understand this. In fact, I found this incredible quote from Dr. Ray Pritchard. He said, David needed Goliath. He didn't realize it, of course. To him, fighting Goliath was simply the next thing God had called him to do. But he needed Goliath in order to gain the confidence of the people that he truly was qualified to be their king. The people had to know that the man they followed was worthy of their trust. David proved it by defeating Goliath. In the same way, you need your giants because you'll never become all that God wants you to be without them. Isn't that amazing? 
So God supplies confidence. When we face our giants, God supplies confidence. He supplied confidence for David. David knew that he was stronger than people thought. God had given him perspective. He had given him confidence. And so this is what he says to Saul in verse 32. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Uh, Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. You're only a boy, right? You're just a, you're a kid. You're, like Saul can see that David is strong, but it's like, it's like looking at the little leaguer who is the home run champion. And you're like, yeah, you got some great skills. That doesn't mean you're ready for the pros, right? Like there's a big difference here. In Saul's eyes, this was like a little boy trying to fight a sumo wrestler, okay? It was like Boykin versus Shaquille O'Neal, right? It it was like Russell Wilson versus Peyton Manning. Saul's saying to David, look, I I, I can see you're willing and I I can see you're confident. You got this fresh perspective. But honestly, you're going against Goliath. You're going to get squished like a grape, right? There's just no hope here. But the scripture says David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine." I want to tell you a truth that we see in this passage, and it's the things that you are facing today are preparing you for the things that God is preparing you for. Amen. The victories that you experience today are preparing you for the road that comes ahead. And I want you to understand what God had given David in this passage of Scripture. He had given him something that's absolutely valuable, something that you and I are receiving from God every single day of our lives. God gave David the experience that he needed. And this is what we see, that God provides the experience that David needed. You can imagine as David, just a a small lad, And he's the youngest of all these brothers. And his dad says, you know, all the brothers are doing important things. David, you go take care of my sheep. And so he goes out in the fields, miles and miles away from anyone else, certainly from his home. And suddenly a lion comes. And you can imagine his fear, but you can also imagine this is David walking with the Lord, his perspective, his confidence in the Lord. And so what does he do? He just grabs the lion, clubs it to death, right? No big deal. Like it's done, dead. And the next thing, you know, happens, again, a bear comes, and it's like, oh, he's miles from home, and and he's afraid, but then he thinks, oh, you know what happened when I took care of that lion and bear? What's a bear? Nothing. Bear's nothing. Get get here. You know, he's dead. And then, what is this? It's an experience. He had these challenges in his life, adversity, but he overcame the adversity. That's the experience that he needs. So now, he looks at the giant. And he remembers when he was small, he took care of a lion. When he was just a little bit older, he took care of a bear. Now that he is a strapping 14-year-old, that giant doesn't even look like a giant to David. 
Okay? You see what the Lord has provided? He's provided great experience. Goliath is a bully who looks at David and sees lunch money. But David is fearless and looks at Goliath and sees lunch. All right? So Saul, realizing this glint in young David's eye, finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. It almost sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi right there. May the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Now, there's something so amazing about this, the the way that God's working through David right here. If David would have put on the armor, and if David would have had the sword, and if he would have lumbered out into the valley to fight Goliath toe to toe, David would have been destroyed instantly. David knew he could not fight Goliath on Goliath's terms that the only way this victory was possible is if he fought this giant on the Lord's terms. What has God given me to fight? What strengths has God invested in me? What skills has God given uniquely to me? What experiences has God allowed me to, to have in my life? What is the strength that I have uniquely to bring to bear? Let me lean on that. Now, let me just tell you something. There's an interesting word here called underdog. And I, I think it's pretty fair to say that we all like to cheer for the under, underdog, right? That's just sort of how we're wired. We love to cheer for the underdog. But let me tell you something very, very clearly. We have no clue who the underdog is. We have no clue who the underdog is. Let me tell you, if, if David would have put on the armor and, and lumbered out there, he would have been the underdog. But since he put it away and he leaned into his own strengths, he leaned into the person that God had uniquely made him to be, I want to tell you he was not the underdog in that scenario. I read this incredible book by Malcolm Gladwell called David and Goliath. That's what I'm talking about today. And in this book, he challenges this idea of underdog, and he runs some statistics about battles and about athletic competitions, etc. He comes up with the statistic that the underdog, in quotes, the underdog wins upwards of 70% of the time. If the underdog wins 70% of the time, I would challenge you and say, that's probably not the underdog. That's probably the one who has the strength. And, and, and what he does is he parses out why does the underdog win? Because he takes the conditions of the battle into his own hands. Right? He refuses to play on the enemy's turf. Instead, he changes the rules because he knows toe-to-toe is not going to do it. Are you tracking with me? And so what David did is he rejected this idea of this old style of warfare, this old warrior style of warfare, and instead he picks up five stones, maybe the size of a golf ball, maybe a little bit uh, bigger. And they're smooth because the river running over them, and he takes them, and a skilled sling artist 
in this day would have had a weapon at their disposal roughly the equivalent of a handgun. Now, the trick, of course, is to be able to hit your enemy between the eyes. And this is what you've got to have this incredible experience. Well, David had this privilege of being out in the middle of fields with no one around but, you know, rocks and a sling. And he's been practicing his whole life. And so you see what's going on here is that God is using experience and God is using perspective and he's using confidence to do this great victory through his servant, David. And so Saul says, may the Lord be with you. Check this. This has got to be my favorite passage of all scripture. It says, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? I don't know. That's my thought. Uh, he's, he's got this, you know, deep voice. And am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Friends, trash talking has been around for thousands of years. It's not just like a football thing. I mean, this is a big, big, and so you just see the trash talking. Goliath is just cussing David out and talking about he's going to rip him to shreds and feed his bones to the animals. And then David, of course, the moxie of this young teenager looking at this giant who faces him and is like, no, no, I'm going to do that. First, I'm going to kill you. Then I'm going to cut your head off with your sword, right? Like, he's just totally, what? He's filled with confidence and courage from the Lord because he's had this perspective and he's had this experience and the Lord's pouring courage in him. And who's going to be glorified with this victory? It's not David, he says. Now, I'm going to do this so everyone will know that there's a Lord in Israel who rescues his people. And that's exactly what happens, right? So the scripture continues. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran quickly out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled to his feet and fell face down on the ground, right? So there it was, one shot. He had five at his disposal. He only needed one. Boom, hits, sinks into his skull. Now, I've often wondered what this looks like. Fortunately, a very highly reputable uh, news agency has found uh, proof of of this endeavor. (laughs) So now we know. Uh, thank, thank goodness for that. Now look at this next verse, verse uh, 50 here. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, 
for he had no sword. If you've been tracking through this series, you know that this is now the third story in which an entire army has been routed and there have been no swords. It's the work of God. It's the power of God. It's the glory of God and, of course, the victory of God. And so I want you to see this in your own life. I want you to see what was going on with David. David doesn't only see the giant. David sees the hand of God. He doesn't measure by size. David measures by opportunity. David doesn't enter the valley with a Goliath-dominated imagination. He enters with a God-dominated imagination. And the difference between David and the other Israelite soldiers is not that he had faith and they had doubts. It's not even that they had doubts and he had no doubts. The difference is that David acted on his belief and he ignored his doubts. He realized that God had given him perspective, God had given him experience, and God had given him confidence. And so with the courage that comes from God, knowing that he was stronger than people around him thought, he acted in faith, and the victory goes to the Lord. Now, what I'd love to do as we close today is I want to introduce you to someone who displays that same type of perspective and confidence and experience. The, the, the same way that David acted in courage and faith, I want to introduce you uh, to a man named Nick. So go ahead and watch this video. All right. Um, what word would you use to describe how you feel right now? One word? Yeah. Blessed. This is my little love, my little bug. Hi, my name is Nick Magnotti. I'm 27 years old. Uh, I am a st I have stage four appendix cancer, and uh, this is my seven-month-old daughter Austin. Uh, my wife and I had her together. I've been married to Elisa for five years now. So Nick was diagnosed with um, aggressive appendix cancer about two and a half years ago. And he received news that was devastating, but he was not devastated. Instead, Nick and his wife, Elisa, decided to spend the time they had left loving well and pointing as many people to the Lord as possible. Here's another clip. I feel blessed because I'm living every person's dream. I get to spend every day with people that I love, and I get to do anything and everything that I want to do. I get to, you know, at least I want to take our little baby Austin to the aquarium. We can go to the aquarium. The Lord has blessed us with the means and the ability to be able to do that. The relationship that's developed, the mountain that I've gotten to know with God, I, I just wish everyone could get to experience what I feel. I just feel so blessed to be able to um, you know, be up in the middle of the night in pain and be able to talk to God and be inspired to, you know, try and help people. And I just feel lucky that even though I'm experiencing this pain, that I'm given the opportunity to change lives, you know, in, 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 in the Lord's name, I'm given the opportunity to help people. And as a dad, I was extremely touched because Nick wanted to make sure to communicate a message to his little girl, Austin. 
So go ahead and watch this. She's my little bundle of joy. I love her so much. And this is another reason why we're doing this video is because I want her to know that her daddy loved the Lord. And that her daddy wants to help people so that she will have the same heart. Uh, you know, I'm just talking about, about how I know that even if I'm not here, that he's her father. He's going to take care of her. He's going to protect her. He's going to watch out for her. He's going to provide for her. I would love to be a part of raising her every single year of her life, but any, every day the Lord gives me with her is just the biggest blessing, the bigger blessing than I deserve. Words can't describe how it feels to have her my daughter and to be blessed with her. So I do worry, but that's just because I'm human. Um, I know that Austin is going to take care of her. I know that the Lord has big plans for her. <laughs> She's gonna accomplish some pretty impressive things in her life. Smiles? You got a proud daddy, Austin, already. So, you're doing good. So, an incredible man, an incredible story. Obviously, he and his wife have, have chosen to walk a road of courage, right, and confidence in the Lord. And, and, and the desire of their heart is that as many people would be impacted by the, the Lord in their life, the Lord's love flowing through their life as possible. So that video has been seen tens of thousands of times. Um, but what's interesting is a bunch of the Seahawks ended up watching it somehow. And so they made their, their own video uh, as, a, uh, as a gift to Nick. So you can go and watch this. Hey, Nick, this is Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, just praying for you, man, letting you know that uh, Gold, myself, uh, Richard, and the rest of the guys in the Seahawks are, are rooting for you, praying for you, and the best of luck with everything. Uh, we'll be right there for you, and, and hopefully you get a win this weekend and for the rest of the season. Hopefully we can bring home the Super Bowl for you, Nick. Talk to you soon, buddy. Go Hawk. Hey, Nick. It's Rich Sherman here with the Seattle Seahawks. I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday, and I hope it goes great and your family and you enjoy everybody. We look forward to seeing you soon. Go Hawks. Nick, uh, hope you enjoyed the tour. Uh, you know, we're, we're very blessed to be here and practicing in such a nice facility. Wish you could be here and come see it for yourself. But, uh, you know, just know we're praying for you. You're praying for your family. Uh, stay strong, man. Uh, God has a plan. So God does have a plan. And about three weeks ago, uh, Nick's journey on earth ended, and his journey in eternity began. And his wife, Elisa, wrote these words, and I want to share them with you. She writes, Nick did not lose his fight with cancer. He won. We won. He's cancer-free, and he has encouraged many hearts. When he was first diagnosed, he said it would be worth all the pain if he changed just one life. I would venture to say that he has changed thousands. Friends, one of the reasons why I wanted to tell you Nick's story is simply to honor him. What an incredibly faithful servant of Jesus. What an inspiration to each and every one of us that we are stronger than we think, that, that we might have to face giants, we might have to face circumstances, but we are not defined by them and we are not determined by them. And the second reason that I wanted to tell you the story of, uh, of Nick's life is this, that last week, a very kind, generous, and unknown man stopped by the Overlake office and dropped off two tickets to the Super Bowl. 
Um, the one happening today <laughs> with our Seahawks. And I don't know who that man was, but I'm pretty sure it was Jesus wanting me to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was so tempted to just record the sermon on video. I just, I confess that. So I, I'm clean before the Lord. That, like, that was true temptation. Uh, but uh, Pastor Dan and Gary and I and Liz, we all put our heads together and thought, you know what, this might be an opportunity for outlandish love. We wanted these tickets to go to somebody special. And, and we knew that, that Nick had uh, a twin sister who was a part of Overlake's student ministries. Nick has two sisters, but a, a twin sister, and, and she's a part of our student ministries here. And, and so he contacted her and, and just asked, her name's Michelle, asked, Michelle, would you be willing to get us in touch with Elisa, Nick's wife, and see if she'd be interested in these tickets? And of course, we wanted to take care of airfare and offered accommodation, even a little spending cash as well. And it turns out she was interested in those tickets. <laughs> So she's there now. She, she took Austin, her daughter. She took her dad along for, uh, for child care. She took a, a good friend of hers named Kat. Uh, they've actually, in New York, they were found by Como 4 News, who wanted to do a story of, of their life and this trip to the Super Bowl as well. And, and I just I wanted to share all that because I, I just want to wrap this whole thing up. You know, like David, Nick... It looked like Nick was the underdog, but just like David, it turns out that Nick was the champion. See, he was the one that was blessed, blessed with a relationship with Jesus that was tighter than he ever imagined, blessed to recognize the gifts and the other blessings that God had poured out into his life, blessed to be able to communicate clearly to his wife and his family and his daughter and to all of us how clearly he loves Jesus. And I just want to say, if you're here and you're trying to do life without the love of Jesus, if you're trying to live it on your own, if you're trying to fight giants without the Lord's help, don't do it anymore. But today would be a great day to let God love you. Today would be a great day to step across the line and, and just let the love of Jesus meet you and carry you, and impact your life. Because Elisa is right, he, he didn't lose his fight against cancer. No, Nick won, Nick won. So friends, I, I don't know what kind of giants you're facing in your life. I don't know how big the challenge is. I don't know how small you feel in comparison. But I do know this, that with his strength, you can crush an army that by his strength, you can scale any wall. And I know this because, friends, you are stronger than you think. Why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, for the first part of, of my prayer, I just want to pray that every one of us who's here who already knows you and loves you, that today we would experience even a double portion of your love in our lives. 
Just, just pour your love into us. Help us be men and women who know your love intimately. That your love pours into our life, that it pours through our life so that others are impacted by your love. And Jesus, as, as you see the giants that we face in our lives, my prayer is that you would allow us to have your perspective, that we could have your confidence, that we could, t- experiences that you've brought to us, that we would use those, and, and we would be strengthened because of all of these things, seeing that you are in this so that we could experience victory for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. And Lord, if there are people here who have never said yes to your love, they've never experienced life with you, they've never felt how good it is to be loved and cared for by the Lord of the universe, the one who made them, who knows them intimately, maybe today, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work in their lives and help them step across the line and say yes. Yes, Jesus, I I receive your love today. Yes, Jesus, I ask you to come and to be a part of my life. Forgive me of my sins and let me walk in relationship with you. Lord Jesus, your promise is that when we pray that prayer, you come in, you dwell within us, we become temples, and you are housed within us, and we are so thankful for that. Jesus, we love you. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And all the people in the house said, amen. Amen. Amen.